Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I'm so grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Before I introduce you to today's guests, I want to let you know about a virtual conference coming up on September 11th and 12th, where I will be one of the speakers. The Uplift Gathering is a two-day event, and this year's theme is How to Choose Joy Even When. To learn more and register, you can head to lovedandblessed.com forward slash uplift online 2020. You can also grab that link in today's show notes. Today's guest, Angela Branoff, is the founder of the popular YouTube channel, This Gathered Nest. She's an adoption advocate, homeschool mom, content creator, podcast host, and adventure seeker. Angela is married to her high school sweetheart, and together they have a very full house. They have Kennedy, their biological daughter, Shelby, their second biological daughter, Rosie, adopted from China, Noah, adopted from Congo, Jonah adopted domestically, and finally, Ivy and Amelia, they were adopted as embryos and Angela gave birth to them. But adding to this family of seven kids after her book, Love Without Borders, was finished, Angela and her husband welcomed their eighth child, Benjamin, through adoption. You guys are just seriously going to love Angela. She is a precious woman of God. I know you're going to love our conversation, so let's jump right into it. Well, hello, Angela, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here chatting with you. Yeah, so I have a lot of questions for you, but before we jump into them, I like to start by asking my guests, what is maybe one random fun fact that we wouldn't read about you in your bio? Oh my gosh, do I go with something funny or embarrassing or um, let me think? Well, I, sh- I guess I could tell your audience about how I like to wax my upper lip, but I feel like a lot, a lot of women do that and they just don't like to admit it. I can touch my tongue to my nose. That's like a, you know, fun party trick. Oh, that's Apparently, cool. not everyone can do. <laughs> I can't do my tongue. I, I can do my lip to my nose, which people, I used to hold my breath that way when I was growing up, like yeah. swimming. People think I'm my so mom weird. does that. <laughs> my mom does that. That's how she plugs her nose when she swims is with her upper lip. And I must have like a lot of space there or something because I'm like, I can't even I mean, I can't even make my lip go up that direction. Like, yeah, it's that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I got made fun of so much and I never knew I was doing it. But when I come up out of the water, everybody be like, what are you doing with your lip? I'm like, I don't know. It's just how I hold my, my nose. So, oh, my gosh, that's super cool. Very love, adaptive. Yeah, very adaptive. <laughs> All right. Well, I love those fun facts. That's, that's awesome. So let's jump into, you've recently wrote a book, Love Without Borders. But before we do that, maybe if there's anybody listening who hasn't heard of you or anything, do you want to just share a little bit about yourself and your family and kind of what you do in the online space? Yeah. So, well, I kind of backed into what we do in the online space accidentally. Um, but really, I would probably call that more like divine providence than accident. But uh, we have a family YouTube channel. And now we have two YouTube channels, a family one, a personal one that I do. And then my husband, and I also have video podcast and we are a rather large family. We have eight children and our children have been brought into our family through both birth and adoption. 
And so we, we also homeschool and we're, you know, we're just really family is the most important thing to us. And that's what I really like to bring to the online space and to my community online is just a real reverence for family and for motherhood and that there is so much, there's so much beauty in it and so much respect to still be had in that, which I feel like is something that culturally we're kind of losing. So that's really where my passion is. What do you mean when you say you backed into the online space? Uh, well, I just had, I had started posting. I'd watched a few YouTube videos and I had a friend who had a blog. And at the time I was running a very successful photography business. I've always been very scrappy and we've always needed the extra income to help us fund adoptions and everything. So I've always run some kind of business on the side while I was momming and all of that. And so I really was looking for an exit strategy for my photography business because we were bringing our daughter home from China. She was four at the time and she had Down syndrome. And I didn't really know what her needs were going to look like and what my time and availability was going to look like. So I was just wanting to be home even more than I already was. And so I saw, you know, a friend that had been doing a blogging thing and putting some videos up on YouTube. And she was telling me like, yeah, you know, you can get sponsorships and you can make some money this way. And, and at first I was like, okay, let me, I'll, I'll try that. Like I, I'm a photographer. I know how to use a camera. Like I can do a good quality video. And so I started doing actually like beauty tips for busy moms. I think that was actually the name of my YouTube channel when I first started um, because I would get asked a lot by friends and family, you know, oh, how do you do your makeup like that or your hair or whatever. And so I was like, oh, let me just share some of these fast tips for moms, right? You know, how to, you know, conceal under eye bags, that kind of stuff. So I started putting up that content. And as I was doing that, uh, with the hope that I could maybe make it into some kind of a business, people started noticing my family. You know, they were like, hey, wait a second, your family looks different than the average family. Like, what's the story here? What's the situation? And so I just started kind of like little by little sharing little things about our family and about adoption. And people had more questions about adoption. So I started talking about that a little bit more. And it just kind of evolved very organically into what it has become. And truly, I never could have imagined the ways that God was going to use this platform. But it really kind of exploded, if you will, when we brought our daughter home from China. And we started kind of talking a little bit more about adoption and stuff. And Rosie is just like a light that cannot be dimmed. And so her presence, just people were drawn to her. She is magnetic. And they came you know, across our channel and our family and saw her and were really just pulled into wanting to know more about adoption and all of that. So that's kind of just what it just very naturally evolved, I guess. I didn't necessarily set out to do the things that I'm doing now, but it was just evolved by, you know, kind of following and going through the open doors, if you will, you know, of what God was placing as an option for us. Yeah, I love that because it really is just such a testimony to doing the next thing that God puts in front of you because we really just have no idea down the road what kind of doors are going to open from that and just that obedience that he just blesses that obedience essentially. And so I love that. You know, I think one thing I know I'm drawn to you and I'm sure I could probably speak for a lot of people who, you know, do follow you in the online space is people are always drawn to those who are willing to step out in obedience when the Lord says, hey, will you do this thing, you know? And so sometimes it's 
fascinating to people because, you know, you just go, you know, even to look at your family. And I, I know we'll get into that in a second of just the different dynamics of your family. But to look at that and go, wow, they they just say yes. You know, when the Lord calls, they just say yes. Okay, we'll do it. You know, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. I love that. I, I believe somewhere in your book, you talked about there, you tried to follow a predetermined check, checklist for a satisfactory life, but no matter how many boxes you checked off, you didn't feel fulfilled. So when did you start to think, okay, maybe there's something different. Maybe maybe we're meant to do life a little differently. I think I started questioning things probably at a fairly young age, maybe like in high school and things like that. Started kind of looking at like the sort of predetermined path and, and checklist for this, you know, good Christian girl and, uh, you know, the happy Christian life. And it all kind of gets very muddled, right? Especially here in America, we sort of conflate the American dream with this Christian dream, you know, sort of checklist for our life. And so really around the high school time is when I started noticing that, like, well, I don't really feel like I fit in any of these boxes, but I don't really know where to go outside of that. I'm, I don't want to step outside of the line. I, I don't know what's over there. And so it really, like, once my husband and I got married and i done all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. You know, we got married, we bought a house, we had two beautiful daughters. And I was like, okay, I've done all the things, checked all the boxes. Like, where's my, not, not like, where's my trophy, but like, where is this like feeling of fulfillment that I have just been longing for? And I, I, I cannot remember who said it. So, but it's not my quote, but that, you know, we're all sort of born with this God shaped hole in all of us. And I feel like that's what that was for me was like this God shaped hole that he was just waiting for me to be at the place of surrender. He needed me at the place of fully not broken down, but enough that like sort of cracked open. Okay. I'm here. My, my heart is open. This is this hole that I need you to come in and fill with whatever it is that you have for my life. Yeah. And that sort of where he sort of started his, his work in me was at that point in my early 20s. Yeah. And you also talk a bit about that your husband and you got married at a young age, right? And so that was a bit unusual. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we got married when I was 21, which to me did not seem really all that young because my grandmother had been married at 16. My aunt was married at 16. My mom was married at 18 and my older sister was married at 17. And so we, I was born in Georgia. We're from the South and I feel like getting married young wasn't, it wasn't like everybody's doing it, but it also wasn't completely and just wildly out of character either. It was just sort of like, you know, you might or you might not kind of a thing. So it never really occurred to me that that would be looked at as super young. But we did. We had met in junior high. We'd met when we were 13. And so we'd been friends for so many years before we dated. And so it felt like it felt like I'd known this person. I didn't just like meet him and all of a sudden we were like getting married. I'd known him for like so many years of my life and marriage absolutely felt right. And I still say that I don't think that getting married young is right for everybody, but I also don't think it's wrong for everybody either. I think there are some people for whom getting married young and starting your family and sort of growing up together and doing all of that together is not necessarily a bad thing. And I certainly feel like my husband and I's relationship, you know, we've been married for 15 years and many of our friends from high school and things like that are either just now getting married or just now starting to have kids. And, you know, we've got a 13 year old. And so it's kind of crazy. It's, you know, in some aspects, but we've done so much learning together it's really like our roots are deep, you know, our roots are deep. 
Okay, well, I feel like we're soul sisters because we got married. I turned 21 two weeks before we got married, and we actually celebrate 15 years tomorrow. So, yeah. And, we were two weeks after. Yeah. Two weeks after I turned yeah. when we got married. So. Yeah, so no, I, I totally – but what's funny, at the time, I didn't feel young. I mean, I guess I was still in college when we got married, and so I was definitely the only one of my friends getting married. But now when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was really young. But like you said, it's been really fun. We have done everything together, like gone through school together and, you know, owning a business together and all those fun things. So I, I completely agree with you that trusting God's timing for sure is always the best way. I, I love that. Okay. So you two, you and your husband then. So I have to tell you though, you have way more kids than me in 15 years. I have three kids. <laughs> so um, I want to hear a little bit more about your kids. Uh, you, your first two were biological children, correct? Yes, our oldest two daughters, they're 13 and 11 now. They are biological. And I had really difficult pregnancies. I had hyperemesis when I was pregnant with them. Princess Kate kind of made that famous, at least enough that where people kind of know what it is when you say it. Nobody did when I had it. They were just like, why do you have a pick line and an IV bag and a, you know all this stuff? So pregnancy was not something that was easy for me. It was more like something that I needed to try to survive And so adoption had been on my heart since high school. I'd seen a documentary about adoption, and I thought it was really just sort of that, what I refer to as like sort of the seed being planted. It's just kind of in there waiting. And it was, you know, like I said, in my early 20s after I'd had both of my daughters and that God really kind of opened my eyes. And that was when that seed really just like sort of took roots and started to grow and was like, okay, hey, he planted this so many years ago because this is what he has for me now. And yeah, that sort of began our adoption journey. And we adopted our son Noah from the Congo in 2012 from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that was such a life changing experience. And yeah, I talk about that in my book that, you know, my life is very much split into two sort of hemispheres, if you will, of like before Africa and after. I left there a completely changed person. And I didn't even see all the ways at the time that that was going to change me for the rest of my life and still does. It's ever evolving. But when I got back from Africa, we knew that we wanted to adopt again and and have another child. And we decided to look into domestic infant adoption. But we also knew that that could be a really, really long process. For some people, it's many years. And so we decided to kind of just go ahead and get that underway. And we ended up being matched pretty quickly and birth mother or an expecting mother choosing us, but then she ended up deciding to keep the baby. And so, you know, I talk about that in the book, kind of walking through that first, like, you know, failed adoption experience. And then we were matched with our son, Jonah. So that was a, you know, very last minute, he was already born. And it was a a crazy experience and one that God really used to strengthen my faith in him because while nobody likes to talk about the financial side of adoption, it's expensive and God really exposed a stumbling block, if you will, in my own faith, which was trusting him with finances. I thought that I was doing good at that. I thought I was doing okay. And that was, you know, when he sort of brought us to this adoption and it was, hey, Uh, We don't have all the funds that we need, and we need them like now. And to me, it was, to my husband, it was impossible. To me, it was unlikely. And God was just like, I didn't tell you, come through this open door and then figure it out yourself. I said, come through this open door, and I will make a way. 
And so, you know, I talk about this sort of miracle of being able to fund Jonah's adoption that happened in a 24-hour period. And it was just something that it was like, you know, nobody could deny that it was miraculous. Our local news station even came out and did a little story about it because our community just wrapped around us and around this baby to make it this possible. And so it was, it was just such an incredible time where God really provided for us in a way that only he could and in a way that was just like, you know, it was very much like a flex on his behalf. You know, it was like, a let me just show you, you think this is a lot of money. Like this is nothing to me. Like, uh, you know, that was a very, again, like all of these experiences have just been very transformative for me and different areas of my faith and different parts of my faith. And so we did go on to adopt our daughter, Rosie from China. She has Down syndrome and she is such an incredible and special child and that was not an adoption we set out she she sort of found us but again it's such a god-driven story that to us it's completely undeniable that she that that was we were meant to collide we were on this collision course to each other and it was just a matter of timing to bring us together so really another just beautiful story and i feel like you know i say this if you look at the cover of our book and you look at our family it almost seems random it's like wait a second, so they've got a child from Africa and they've got a child from the United States they adopted and a child from China and they did an embryo adoption. It all seems so random, but there's absolutely nothing random about any of it. It is all God's design and it's all his beautiful story where he was able to take like all of this brokenness and hurt and pain and these hard situations and like bring that all together, weave it together and make like something really beautiful, make this family out of all of these broken pieces. And so, you know, we did go on to adopt, do an embryo adoption and have our twins who I carried, but they're not biologically our children. And so uh, that was another just like beautiful life-changing experience. And then you don't see him on the cover there because his adoption happened literally right after the book was done, you know, in the publishing process, there's a point at which the book is done. And um, that was where we were at. And then uh, we were matched with our little buddy, Benjamin. So he is almost nine months old. And he is just, uh, just the sweetest baby of all time, honestly. (laughs) So that's what brings us to eight. Uh, There's only seven on the cover there, but we do have eight kids now. So and where is he from? He was adopted here domestically from down in Georgia. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I agree with you. And I see your story and I see your cover of the book. To me, it's not random because what I see is a family who God trusts that when he brings, you know, whether it's children along or a ministry or a business along. You said a line in there that is so powerful when you were talking about the finances. You said that basically that God says, come through this open door and I will make a way. But how many of us are looking at doors and we're like, I'll go through once you make the way, you know? And so we're like standing on the other side going, hey, God, once you make the way, I'll go through. And that's not how, like, read the Bible. That's not how God operates. He's never operated of, you know, once you give me the thing, then I'll go. He's like, no, you go then yes, I will provide everything you need along the way. And he just blesses that. So that is so encouraging to hear all of this. There's a couple things I want to ask you a little deeper about that you mentioned. First of all, you mentioned when you went to Africa for that adoption that you came back completely changed. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what maybe happened there? What just totally transformed your life? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was honestly an, a series of events. I was there for about a month. Um, I went because things were slowing with our adoption process, and I knew that this was a pilot program for our agency, and I just needed to be on the ground there. I needed to figure out what was going on, and uh, my son was in what I knew was not a great orphanage, but it wasn't until I got there, and I really saw how bad it was. And for me, that was the first moment. Like, you're going through all of this, and you have this, you know, very sort of, middle class happy life and things have been you know up to that point I've had really challenging things but nothing that was really eye-opening to the world around me I knew my own challenges which are you know were were hard in and of themselves but I really wasn't aware of anything beyond the stuff you see on tv and commercials and things like that and so when I got to Congo and I was, you know, sort of in this like culture shock of the way that people drive and, uh, the, you know, and, and truly like the extreme poverty that really hits you very hard if you've never seen that and are unaware of it in, in a very real sense. And so that was already kind of had me on edge a little bit and just like very wide-eyed at everything and when we got to the orphanage and they opened the door and I don't know what I expected I knew that it wasn't going to be good but I think it was this like realization you're stepping through into this building and the, the, the floors are dirt and there's nails and broken boards and things like that everywhere like people here I mean in the United States and in other, lots of other places would just absolutely they wouldn't put their dog in these conditions and these you know the smells were very strong and really it was it was like everything else in the world just went silent and all I could see was these children and there was over a hundred children and two or three women taking care of them and it was a desperate and desolate situation and something that it, it's so hard to explain the despair and the sadness in the children's eyes and it was just really hard to to see that for the first time and know that gosh this is this is the same world like they don't live on this is another planet this is the same world and it was just it was a series of those type of events those type of things happening seeing dying children and seeing starving children and it really rocked my faith. It really, really did. I struggled a lot with the Lord. And in that time, I I almost like kind of ignored him and was like, I, I can't talk to you right now. I'm upset and I don't know how to handle this. And I can't talk to you right now because I'm upset with you. And it took me months and coming home and lots of other little experiences to to really sort of try to come to grips with and take to God, like, listen, I, he can take it. He can take our questions. It's okay. We can go crawl up into his lap and cry and say, Daddy, I don't understand. I don't understand the pain and the hurt in this world and how this is, how this can be. How can this be? And he can take it. And that was a really, it was a really hard thing for me because my faith up to that point had just been, I don't know, almost elementary. It was easy to believe in God when he was constantly uh, you know, sort of giving me the things that made it easy to believe in him, right? I have this blessed life and I have these beautiful children and this wonderful husband and all of that. But making sense of the entire picture was something that I was just thrust into very quickly and just was ill prepared for. Yeah. Yeah, that would be absolutely life-changing. And I do feel like so many of us live in a bubble. I'm curious. So for people who are listening and 
that either maybe they don't personally feel called to adopt or maybe they, you know, I, I would love some words of advice for this heart of adoption. So whether it is your family that's called to adopt or because I feel strongly. So my sister and her husband adopted as a special needs little girl. And I feel so strongly that if your family isn't the one adopting, we need to support the families who do adopt, you know, and like let them have vacations, like offer to take care of their kids. I mean, so what are some practical ways that if we're not the family that is going to adopt, how can we still play a part in this? Yeah, I'm, this is something I'm incredibly passionate about because there's a lot of guilt that people carry around. It's, when I share my story and when I talk about these things, a lot of times people internalize that as like almost an, um, you know, that it's an attack on them for not doing the same things. And it's absolutely not. And I'm really passionate about this because vulnerable children do not just need to be adopted. The needs are so much greater than that. That is a small uh, portion of the solution and the answer. Um, if you feel called to adopt and God has put it on your heart, then don't be afraid of that. Don't run from that. I would encourage you to run into it. But you have to feel that because it is a difficult road and bringing home a child with a traumatic, from a traumatic background, you need to be, your heart needs to be in that. You can't be guilted into doing that. That's not good for you or for the child. So I talk about this in the book that there, I believe that God has created us in a way that there are like goers and there are senders. And so there's some of us who will, you know, do feel that call to adopt, but we need people to help up there. My husband barely made more per year than what it costs to adopt our son. The only reason we were able to do that is because people came alongside us and helped us. People who had a heart for children and wanted to help, but didn't feel the call to adopt. But you know what? They could donate money. They could help us with a yard sale. They could help us with a bake sale or a pancake fundraiser or T-shirts or whatever that was. They helped us in the process along the way. Social workers who work in the industry, people who support kids in the foster care system through love boxes or mentorship programs. There's time. If you have time to give, give of time. If you don't have time but you have money, give of money. We need it all. It's all needed. Every piece of it is part of like sort of this bicycle and we need the two wheels. We need the handlebars. We need the brakes. We need all of it. You can't just have the two wheels. That's not really going to be very useful practically for a long time. And so there's just a role that everybody can play. And I would I would encourage anybody to just ask yourself, what is that role that I can play? Is it a supportive role to a friend who's adopting? I can bring meals to, I can be respite so that she can go get her hair done or, you know, just go have a dinner with her husband. Can I offer to babysit for free? Especially, especially families, large families and families with kids with special needs. They are forgotten about largely by their own churches this is a huge problem in the special needs community specifically is families feeling like they don't even have a church home anymore because the needs of their kids are so great. And how, how do we rectify James 127 and then not make a space in our church for families who have adopted, for families who are foster parents and for children who are in need? Like we have to bring these things together. Like the sort of cognitive dissonance that we've created, we have to stop that. And we have to stop the guilt of like, I don't, I, I don't really feel called to adopt, so I feel really bad. Don't. What else can you do? Because there's lots of other things that can be done. So those are the right questions to be asking. Oh my goodness. You just brought some major freedom. And I hope everybody listening today really receives that, that don't feel the guilt if you're not the one 
if God didn't give you the exact job of actually adopting and bringing that child into your home, but man, if, as business owners, can we give financially as a, you know, another stay at mom, home mom who has time, can we do some of those things you mentioned? That is so powerful. And I, I just love how you put that. That was amazing. Okay. So we're getting to the end of our time here. I knew I wouldn't get through. I think I've asked you like three of my questions, but that's okay. Cause we've, and we've gotten to get into some really good stuff here. I think I'd like to finish by just asking you this. So through your book, Love Without Borders, the message of how you and your family love with no borders, you explore that. What does that saying actually mean to you, that love without borders saying? What does that mean to you? I think what it really means to me is the idea that somehow in life we put ourselves into these boxes that have these borders around them of what we should be, what our lives should look like, the kind of wives or mothers that we should be. We have a lot of shoulds in our life. And to me, that the idea of loving without borders is the idea of loving and living beyond those shoulds, beyond the boxes that culture and society has put us in, and really walking in the freedom of like, whatever God has for you and your life and your story. And mine looks like this with a lot of kids and adoption, Yours probably doesn't, but it looks like something that is so uniquely and beautifully written for you. And this is my story of breaking free from those boxes. And I all my, my heart's desire in all of this is for women to not see my story and want to replicate it, but see my story and go, you're right. My own story is so unique and diverse and beautifully created for me by a loving father. And I just want to like run headfirst through those open doors that he puts in my life. Thank you for speaking to that, that we shouldn't look at your life and go, oh, let's replicate that because it won't work. That that wasn't God's plan for me and my husband and our household. And so I love the phrase that you said there, breaking free from boxes. That is powerful and just trusting. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I personally take from your message is that when the Lord opens a door, don't hesitate, don't, you know, don't reason with him and tell him all the things. Just go walk through it and trust that he knows what's on the other side and that it will just continue to not just bless your own family, but be part of that bigger kingdom picture. Well, Angela, thank you for taking the time to come on today. Is there any final word of encouragement you'd love to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I think I would just ultimately just tell everybody to recognize that all of these things our lives are full of these highs and lows and you're going to have, there are some beautiful moments in my life and in my story, but there are also some really deep and dark and hard times too. And they all are conspiring together to write this beautiful story for you. And so just embracing that and, and riding those waves out, the high ones and the low ones, that's where the real beauty and joy is found, at least for me. Yeah, that's so encouraging. Thank you. And where can people connect with you in this online space? Yeah, so I'm pretty much this gathered nest on YouTube and Instagram. I also have my personal channel, Angela Braniff, and my husband and I have our podcast, Well, That Escalated Quickly. So yeah, we're kind of, that's, that's a YouTube podcast and iTunes and all of that. But this gathered nest is pretty much the safest place to start. And thisgatherednest.com, that sort of houses it all. So you can start there and go with what interests you. Yeah, that podcast name is awesome too, by the way. When I saw that, I was like, that's so good. I love it. Oh, okay. Well, thank you again for taking the time to come on. I can't wait to release this episode to the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Wasn't Angela's story inspiring? Be sure to grab a copy of her book, Love Without Borders. 
Don't forget to sign up for Joymail, a monthly newsletter sure to bring some extra joy to your inbox. To be on that list, text that phrase Real Talk Giveaway, that's all one word, to the number 44222. And you can also sign up directly right there on my website at rachelgilbert.com. All right, friends, that's all for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.